0: just go to cars.com. It's magical.
1: Jordan is on best. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows Podcast. I'm your host Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started, if you have not already, be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. Give us a five star review if you think we deserve that. We uh, always love and appreciate your feedback and your support. Um, you know, we're really trying to grow this thing, so any uh, anything like that would totally help us out. Always hit us up on Twitter on Indie Cornrows. Just uh, let us know. Um, I'm pretty stoked to be joined today by you know a friend of mine, uh, Evan Damrell from Over. At Locked On Cavs uh, covers them from Forbes as well, and over at Fear the Sword, um, Evan. How are you doing today, man?
0: Uh, not too good, man. Or just, sorry, not too good. <laughs> not too bad. Gosh, what a what a, what a slip there! Damn, um, I was like, all I, right, I,
1: wow. This is a this is a total. Yeah, we're gonna get bro. real.
0: Uh, you're not my therapist, Mark. I, I pay him way too much. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, let let uh someone else do his job for him but no i'm, I'm doing good the calves are back we kind of talked about this before we got going here um it's good to have them back it was uh i was up till about 132 doing work on them last night so i woke up at 10 today it just feels like i'm back in the swing of things but um yeah no all things considered not too bad how are you
1: I'm good, man. I can't complain. I was telling you as well. I had to watch everything through, through play by through. Ah, gosh, game you speak? Uh, through play by play today because I'm I'm in this nice little zone where I don't get Fox Sports Indiana or Fox Sports Ohio. So I'm just kind of a uh, you know a little bit sol. So we're making it work though. It only happens uh, like yeah. two or three times a year. So um, in true Indiana fashion, they play Andre Drummond in one of the first games of the season and lose. Um, oh, <laughs> luckily, is that a thing. Yeah, that, Oh, that is a thing. Um, I think they were under 500 against the Pistons um, while Andre Drummond was there. Like Andre Drummond just eats miles Turner live. He didn't even play that well against miles Turner yesterday to be fair. He didn't play that well in general, but it's a, it's a a preseason
0: He didn't attempt a single three. So that's a positive, right? So there's nothing for me to really complain about with Dre. Um, maybe a little teaser here. We overview the sword. We've been doing previews for positions and players and I have Andre on my docket and I'm actually, I am, I'm staring at the tab right now on my browser (laughs) about my thoughts and uh, I'm really going to go into the nitty gritty on does he really love basketball or not? Because that's my biggest question about him heading into the season, but Hey, maybe he loves playing the Pacers for some reason. I don't know why he does. I mean,
1: he gets easy offensive rebounds. So um Yeah, I I don't know. It's I I think the first thing I want to say, too, before we really dive into things, um, I mean, it's our job to dive into things. So we're going to. But at the same time, I really don't care for preseason basketball. Like I enjoy watching it and like getting a vibe and feel for the new guys on the team, which the Pacers have very few new guys on the team. But, um, you know, obviously you get back in the swing of things and. Uh, but overall, I mean, there were so many takes yesterday coming out already. I'm like, oh, this team's screwed. blah, blah, blah. I'm like, dude, it's preseason. We need to chill. Like, I, I am not trying to form any real official analysis on anything. We're just watching, seeing what happens. Mm-hmm. We can maybe get some general thoughts going on stuff that might happen during the season. But overall, I mean, it's just uh, it's it's an exhibition game
0: yeah that's all it really is at the end of the day and we were talking about this and maybe this will be our launching point to talk about new faces at least in terms of things for Cleveland because the Cavs had quite a few new faces playing Indiana last night that I had to kind of get acquainted with but Isaac Okoro was really impressive he hit the game-winning layup and he also kind of shut down TJ McConnell's water the last possession for Indiana to lead to that game-winning layup and and one situation in itself but uh on lots on cast we did a quick recap after the game just to give our thoughts on things and i said yeah no isaac Okoro was super impressive but we really didn't see this until he was playing the back end of indiana's bench and possibly guys who aren't going to make the pacers long term i don't think indiana has an exclusive oh I mean, no they do the fort Wayne mad Ants so the g league affiliates so probably a few guys on fort wayne's roster fort wayne has a season this year but um yeah i don't Isaac Okora looked encouraging, but maybe we take this with a grain of salt as well. Because like you said, there's not a lot of stock you can take in the preseason. Because if you want to look at the Cleveland side of things, like, I mean, Andre Drummond and Kevin Love played 14 minutes individually. And combined, they put up eight points, six rebounds, one assist and two steals. And that's not very encouraging either. That's something to freak out about. And Jetty Osmond looks like a god out there. Hey, he's taking the leap.
1: Finally. I don't know. Yeah. I'm sure you remember this, uh, even more than I do, but there was a, the year after LeBron left, everyone was like, Oh, well, Chetty's going to take the step and he's going to be the star player. I definitely uh, was one of the people who was like, Oh, I could see it. And then, uh, and then, yeah, yeah, that did not happen. I think those expectations were definitely unfair, but, uh,
0: they were for sure unfair. And, in his media availability last night, I think Chris Fedor from Cleveland.com was asking him about this, but he was all honest and he said, yeah, no, I, I try to be aggressive at the gates today and mm-hmm. this is something you're going to be seeing more from me more often and I'll believe it when I see it because Jenny Osman is, I think I'm starting to figure out that he's more of a high energy bench guy where he just provides instant offense and maybe 25 ish minutes max off the bench Mm. for cleveland at the apex of this roster but i also don't think because last season is a good example of it there's so many peaks and valleys of jetty's career where he doesn't linger too long in the peaks and he spends way too long in the valleys and i think the Cavs' goal with him is to find that level of consistency and if this is the level of consistency this is more than exceeding my expectations but i'm expecting jetty to either have a Amazing preseason, and then he falls flat on his face when the regular season starts rolling. And the games actually matter, or hopefully he carries this momentum, and that's great. And I'm like, I'm I'm more than ready to be uh called a naysayer and a doubter about him. But yeah, no, I thought those expectations were certainly unfair. Just to put in perspective, he's a second round pick that apparently Kobe Altman was very high on, and he cleverly traded for the minnesota timberwolves in the night he was drafted and then he joined cleveland soon after and no it's a great for a second round pickup for the Cavs. so you don't really find many rotational players of value in that regard in the second round so that's a good pickup for the Cavs in that sense but i also don't think he was going to ever succeed lebron and i think that's going to be <clears throat> the ghost the Cavs are always chasing when it comes to succeeding lebron even a core like a looked really good last night but i don't think he's a transcendental talent he Looked a lot better than some of his skeptics and critics said coming out of Auburn, but I'm just kind of again taking this all the grain of salt. Uh, all the good vibes the Cavs had. I know Cavs fans were chomping at the bit for after being away for nine months to have some meaningful basketball to an extent to watch, but. For all we know, uh, the Cavs do an early tip Monday night against the because the Browns play at eight thirty on Monday night football, so they're going to try and get the game ended before the Browns game starts, so they have some people paying attention, which which is nice for me. Um, a six o'clock start time is great, and I can wrap things up early and watch catch the game myself. But um, yeah, no, I, it's just. Uh, I, I, they could easily fall flat on their face against Indiana because I, I said this with Chris on Locked Cast as well. Like the Pacers could also be playing a lot of vanilla concepts too, because it's a new coach who doesn't want to exactly reveal his hand. And yeah, they're aggressive defensively. And I think you're going to see a lot better guard play because that's the benefit of the Raptor system and what Nate Bjergsen kind of brings to the table as well. So I, Pacers fans shouldn't be up in arms and worried because like you said, it's, it's the preseason pump, the brakes. This is a marathon, not a sprint. So Let's. How about we reconnect about midseason? And I think you and I might be singing different tunes about our teams at that point. Yeah,
1: definitely. Um, I think that's a good point. I actually do. Like, I I was uh really thinking through things um in terms of what the Eastern Conference is going to shake out. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't, I think Cleveland will be better this year. Like, we t- we talked yeah. about this. It feels way longer. I think it was like even a, maybe a month ago. Um, but you know, I mean, I, I, Cleveland's gonna be better this year. Like, it's harder for them to be that much better. Um, yeah, I mean, it's harder for them to be that much worse is a good point too, but, um, I really like what you were saying about a Cause it's, it's interesting. I started getting into draft work for the first time this year. Um, and I've started keeping up with it. I already started doing some scouting profiles on guys in this upcoming draft class. Cause I found out it's a lot easier to do draft work throughout the year than the last two months leading up to the draft and trying to cram Absolutely. everything in. Um, you have to, yeah, you definitely have to take some punches before you realize where to put your hands up at. Um, but like you're talking about with the Coro, it's interesting because like, you know, I I think there's a tendency among general fans. There's people in general to, to look at, okay, this guy's a top five, top 10 draft pick. So he's gotta be some franchise altering guy. Right. Um, well, part of it is like the draft class. Um, I mean, last year's draft class was like notoriously not super high end talent, um, even though it was like kind of a deep draft, but I think it's important too. like, we, we really got to take stock on what a guy is when they're coming in so that we don't put these crazy lofty expectations on them. Like yeah. Isaac Okoro might be, a uh, um, an all-star level role player. And probably, I mean, he's, I'd be shocked if he isn't an all defense guy at some point, frankly, because he's just so good. Um, but I think like, People look at like, oh, well, he was drafted that high, so he's got to be this level player. And like, no, I mean, he's not going to be a superstar and that's fine. I mean, maybe something crazy happens and he does become some, you know, like his offense his on ball ability becomes really good. His shot actually kind of I thought his shot looked a little bit cleaner last night than it had throughout his college season, Mm -hmm. um, which I'm sure he's been working on that. But. Yeah, I think it's important to keep that stuff in mind. Like with Cassius Stanley going to the Pacers, I wrote on it yesterday. I was like, this guy's not going to be a superstar, and that's okay. He was drafted in the second round. He has a lot of uh, great strengths to his game that I think the Pacers can develop. But you got to acknowledge that there are some very real flaws, too. So it's not fair to be like, oh, this guy should be a starter. Like he's going to be so good within like two or three years. And, you know, maybe that track does happen. But at the same time, pump the brakes, you know, like you can't just like if if I dumped like 17 uh documents on your desk it was like okay sift through these and have it like figured out by the end of the day um that's a lot to ask somebody so it's like it's it's obviously hard to make that parallel but i mean if you if you ask somebody to to do something in their regular day job that would take like 17 days to do i just use
0: the same number twice um but yeah i mean it you, you get you get where i'm going at yeah no absolutely and isaac i like him coming out of Auburn a lot he's an answer to a lot of what cleveland needs especially on the defensive Mm -hmm. side of the ball it's after targeting so many offensive players whether it's colin sexton or Darius garland or i think dylan windler has potential to be a solid enough defender at least positionally and maybe in its team scheme as well but like kevin porter jr has that potential as well but i need to see more of it to feel more comfortable in saying that because if you look at his advanced metrics his rookie season and again as a rookie but Wasn't the best defender, but physically has the intangibles in order to be a good defender. It's just how much he wants to commit to it. Okoro, meanwhile, is built like a grown man at the age of 19, and it's honestly impressive to see how physically gifted he is. And that's the one thing I did notice that popped right away with him is... He's very mature defensively as well. And I asked J.B. Bickerstaff about this. I said, how impressed were you? And he's like, oh, no, super impressed. But this is also just what we've kind of expected, grown to expect from Isaac in our limited time with him so far. And I think he's in a good place in Cleveland. I think he's going to get plenty of looks. Um, I think the Cavs kind of embracing this positionless mindset where they put the best players out there. And last night you saw it for a little bit when they had Garland, Okoro, Nance,
1: I think it was Drummond Dotson too, right? Or oh no, yeah, I was thinking of a different yeah.
0: lineup. It only played maybe five, six minutes, and it didn't execute much. But the Cavs kind of leaning that, and that the defensive mentality between at least Nance and Okoro is fun. I like I like that potential group mm-hmm. pairing together. But if Drummond is able to play to his strength in a contract season, I think that's a huge thing as well. And um, maybe it's just something they employ against the Pacers because I'm still fascinated by that nugget that he throttles the pacers and miles turner every time because i'm a big miles turner guy don't get me wrong but um it said uh, that's just interesting i'm still kind of caught on that but oh yeah no, it's I, very it's, much
1: a thing i
0: it, think i yeah. pulled it
1: up one time um if i remember correctly because i don't have the stat head anymore because they unfortunately i can't really afford to use it considering how little i i actually used it when i had it the when yeah. b-ball ref uh did that split but i think drummond averaged like I think it was like sixteen and eighteen in games against Miles Turner, and I think they were like eleven and six in uh, in games. Crazy. It was like it's nuts, and it's not far off from that. And I think Miles like eleven and five and a half. Like Miles just cannot guard Andre Drummond or keep him off the glass. It's a it's a tough scene.
0: Yeah, but I've also been told Andre Drummond isn't necessarily a winning player, and I've heard more glowing things about
1: models and
0: just the general whispers of the nba the
1: box score uh box score nut jobs versus the uh analytics a little bit um so i think it's important obviously it's a reductive way to look at it but yeah it's a they're a very uh clashing ideology of uh of of ways of looking at basketball that's for uh, (laughs) that's definite um no
0: for sure and like i tell people who get up in arms when i'm kind of critical of Andre where you, it's not the eye test. He doesn't pass like, yeah, box score wise, he looks great, but like, yeah. I also just say there's a reason why you and I are having this conversation on Twitter or I'm using my mediums to communicate my thoughts instead of sitting behind a desk at a front office working these things as well. So.
1: Yeah, exactly. No, that's a good point. And uh, I mean, speaking of the front office too um, I really like some of the moves that Kobe Altman made. Uh, Mm -hmm. this off season. And I like some of the guys who, who, who showed out last night, obviously again, preseason, but um, I, I did some digging this off season, talked to some people with the Knicks um, about why on earth Damian Dotson, a wasn't getting run with them and B wasn't getting looked at in free agency that much. And I got back nothing. Like they're all like, you know, this guy is awesome. He's a great dude. He comes in, he works hard. We have nothing bad to say about him. And I, he looked really good yesterday. Like I, I, am interested to see how he fits in throughout the season. Um Cause obviously yeah. when KPJ is back and Isaac Coral will be there, obviously they're going to be kind of ahead of him in the pecking order for sure. But um he looked good last night. I liked him.
0: No, Dotson was encouraging. Um, tough to root for for some of the stuff that's happened him off the court, obviously, mm-hmm. but as a player he like what his skill set is. He kind of fills that void left by a Jordan Clarkson or a J.R. Smith, but maybe with a little bit smarter defensively as well. Uh, yeah, I couldn't really get a straight answer either when it came to like why he lost minutes. I think just the big answer was R.J. Barrett came into New York and just kind of took a timeshare of those minutes and there's only so much to the Knicks just weren't a very stable organization either. And I think letting him slip through the cracks might be a mistake on their part, but no, Dotson looked encouraging. I like what he brought to the table, um, him being a part of that closing lineup granted it's, you know, the best available end of rotation guys for Cleveland, Indiana with Isaac Coro getting a line share of minutes because he is having the most unprecedented rookie season that most rookies in yep. this class will ever have. Um, so that's why we're going to see more of Dots. But like you said, Sexton was out last night as well with an ankle sprain. Um, so he'll be back. Kevin Porter will be back. Dylan Windler will play ahead of him. Um, even Dante Exum and Isaac Acora will get minutes ahead of him as well. It's just Dotson's going to have a hard time cracking into this rotation. But he shared with the Cleveland media, at least, that he has really no relationship with any on this team. So he's kind of a wild card, at least. And um, more so the fact that he was more cognizant of the fact that guys like him are going to be struggling to find a job in the NBA. So if a team like Cleveland, who was the first team that called him and his agent come calling, you pick up and you try and work out a deal. So that's why he's a Cavalier, at least for this season, possibly next. I don't know the full terms of his contract off the top of my head, but he's a nice addition. I like, I think that Kobe and JB working in tandem together on the basketball decisions. I know Kobe is the final decision maker and kind of runs these things by Dan Gilbert, but Also, Dan Seeding, more control to Kobe, and also JB as well to kind of build this team as like a defensive first squad who has some fun offensive pieces is a smart way to go about things. Like, I like the Dotson addition. Um, Thon Maker, there's a bit of a reason why he's on his third team in as many years, and he's just kind of bounced around. He can't really put everything together, but the potential's there. And Mm -hmm. this has kind of always been Kobe Altman's MO where he finds – cast off players maybe takes a stab at him because they have a more opportunity to play here and maybe it works out maybe it doesn't it's something he probably learned from david griffin when it came to matthew delvedova where he went on drafted to saint mary's and delvedova stuck with the team because he got in a fist fight with Kyrie irving for how much how hard he's playing defense in preseason and training camp against him and um no just looking at players like that are certainly an interesting thing for the Cavs, but also just the focus on defense and some of their signings as well it's just um Like trading for JaVale McGee was a smart move as well because after Tristan Thompson left and after Ante Zizek left, they needed to address depth surprisingly at the center position. So when you look at the market and when you look at the money you have available for Cleveland, there's not really that many good of options out there. So he's flipped to expiring assets in Alphonso McKinney and Jordan Bell, the fact that their contracts weren't guaranteed. And I think last time I spoke with Al, he's going to stick with the Lakers, which I'm happy for him, but Jordan Bell is waived immediately. So maybe Jordan Bell finds another team to land with, but You get another adult in the room, to quote my co-host, Chris Banning, where this is something you need desperately with a young team like Cleveland, and that's Mm -hmm. a good thing. And I think JV McGee will be a good addition, and he'll be a good backup behind Andre Drummond as well. And, you know, he's just a defensive player and a defensive presence as well. And I think going that avenue is just a refreshing take for Cleveland where they're just always offense first for the longest time, especially under that second LeBron era, Oh yeah, which makes it a lot more enjoyable for me to watch because I'd rather watch the Cavs who are not a good team on either end of the floor, kind of build some type of identity. And I think giving J.B. Baker staff that added reassurance that you are our coach. Here are some pieces that help make your defensive vision a lot more palatable and a lot more easier for you to put out there. Uh, I think it's the right step in the right direction. And uh, I don't know. Yeah, I think, like you said, I think the Cavs are going to be better just because they've added talent. I don't think they're going to be good enough to make the playoffs because there's just the consistent group in the Eastern Conference. And I think there's going to be a fight for that eighth seed, and there's going to be a fight for the playing tournament scenario, but there's so many teams around Cleveland that have gotten better, like Chicago, I think is going to be infinitely better.
1: Yeah, Washington, too, I think. Yeah. Um,
0: Atlanta is the biggest one. They Atlanta went crazy. I, oh, I yeah. think on paper what they built is going to be really fun offensively, but disastrous defensively. And um, I don't know if Lloyd Pierce is the immediate answer for them. I know them bringing in Nate McMillan as a Pacers guy, I mean, you know, this is kind of like a safer option just in case, like if Lloyd Pierce goes – sideways they can just you know fire him and promote Nate McMillan just to stay stable steady the ship in atlanta at least to make mm-hmm. them respectable and average on both ends of the floor which may not be the sexiest move but as a team who's desperate to make playoffs it makes sense but i'm okay with it i'm okay with the Cavs thinking they're a playoff team if they want to try and go out and win every game but lose most of them that's fine because this 2021 class is stacked And adding a player in the top 10, whether it's an Evan Mobley or God willing, a Cade Cunningham,
1: (laughs) if (laughs) only, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, if only. And if that's the case, Cleveland's going to be sitting in a pretty good position because this is just, you know, trying to build a culture and a mentality where you're trying to go out there and play meaningful, winning basketball and basketball. The purpose as JV Bickerstaff would put it uh, makes it a lot more enjoyable and a lot more palatable for me to watch and consume on a nightly basis. And it makes the content a lot easier to write about as well.
1: Yeah, certainly. And I, so also too, I mean, I just looked up Damien Dotson. I did not realize that that happened when he was in college. So that uh, definitely changes my opinion of him a little bit um, more than a little bit. Um, yeah. The one guy you didn't mention though, that I'm, I'm super excited. About. This is one of my draft crushes, to be completely honest, the guy who I didn't think was going to end up getting drafted, but uh, Lamar Stevens was the first guy to sign a two-way, I believe out of, uh, or not two-way first guy to sign as a UDFA. Um out of uh, out of the draft, and I think he's going to be just fun. A, I've seen him interviewed a couple times. seems like a great dude. I don't know if yeah. you've gotten a chance to speak with him yet, but also his game is just so fun, man.
0: Yeah, he is another defensive-minded prospect who has potential as a shooter. I haven't gotten a chance to speak with him yet. He more or less will probably be a guy. Um, I know Cleveland can dress, in all NBA teams can dress 15 players instead of 13 mm-hmm. this year, so maybe he gets the tap as the 15th guy on the roster, or maybe not, but he's just going to be a body in practice. I believe he'll probably spend more time in Canton. I think, yeah, he's a guy that won undrafted probably for a reason, but he's one of those guys, a lot like a Dean Wade where he got scooped up immediately by Cleveland. It's just another smart move on Kobe Alton's part where they have like a Dean Wade in the house who could be good, could not be good. The jury's still out on him. Um, Lamar Stevens, as well, he can spend a lot of time getting integrated with Cleveland's system and maybe spend more time in Cantons to have more opportunities to play and crack the rotation. And, you know, the coronavirus is a little bit unprecedented. The Cavs could have you know, knocking on wood here, it doesn't happen, but they're like their entire roster could be depleted because of the virus and they can't play for a few games and they need to call up a guy like a Stevens. So it's better to have a guy who's familiar with the system than an undrafted free agent who's just kind of sitting and waiting. And no, from all accounts from people I've spoken with, they like what he brings to the table. They just hope he can become a more consistent shooter. I think that was his biggest concern. Coming yeah out of definitely. Penn state but yeah no another defense first guy. I I think the Cavs are trying to find multi-dimensional players as well so that they just more than they're not they're more than pigeonholed like a Darius Garland who is a offensive first point guard who likes to, who tends to like to shoot it, but he also can act as a facilitator or Colin Sexton, who's a three level scorer, but cannot defend a lick. Neither can Darius Garland or you have a Kevin Porter who potentially could be a good defender, but he's more of an offensive oriented player. Then you find more guys like a Larry Nance, who's a little bit more multifaceted, maybe Lamar Stevens can step into that role. And, you know, having guys and JV Bickerstaff said this as well, they want to be Miami where they obviously have their stars, but the guys after the stars through the 15th man on the roster, you know you can rely on a night-to-night basis. I think the Cavs building that type of mentality and culture is a good thing, and I think Stevens falls in that role really well.
1: Yeah, certainly, and I think that's something the Pacers have really kind of hung their hat on for a while, Um, and so I I totally see that kind of identity coming through.
0: I'm bullish on the Pacers compared to most people because I just think, yes, losing McMillan might be a loss for them, but maybe he also wasn't the answer. But yeah. you kind of see what you have with Oladipo. I think Indiana still is too talented to not be considered a playoff team in the Eastern Conference, especially considering it's the Eastern Conference. But I don't get where all this hate on the Pacers came from. All of a sudden, there like a lot of it is. seems
1: to come from Pacers fans. I can tell you that yeah. much, man. Um, it's interesting, man. Like I, I never really know how to how to think about it because um, you know, growing up in Cleveland, obviously, I mean, fortunate enough to to have LeBron. Um, once he came in, I didn't really understand or, you know, appreciate basketball the way I did then. Um, but, I, I, you know, I got into basketball after LeBron had left for the first time and those teams were dreadful. So, like, you know, you look at those teams and I think sometimes people take for granted um, the teams that are able to just be consistently competitive. But I do think at, at some point, like with this latest kind of era of it, Part of it was uh, running into it, you know, not really expecting it. A lot of the moves that were made in, in 2017 after the trade for Paul George, um, you know, a lot of those moves were made to be like, okay, well, like one or two year deals where maybe we can sell off on these vet guys for, for picks or something. And then yeah. everything just hit and it worked. So it's been kind of like an awkward, uh, an awkward run a little bit. And things have, you know, obviously with Victor after 17, 18, it hasn't, hasn't been super great for him health wise. And mm-hmm. luckily yesterday he looked a little bit better. We'll see kind of, you know, moving on from preseason, but um, yeah, it's just kind of hitting, trying trying to figure out how to hit that next wave and go from there. But I, I yeah, agree. The team's sure. just too talented to to be a team that tears it down. Like I said, I get really tired of the comments that are like, um, and, and part of that's something I got to work on. Cause I get, I get frustrated with stuff, but um, you know, like seeing that, Oh, well they need to just tear it down so they can be a contender, like just suck oh. for three years and then you can be a contender. I'm like, well, do you, do you really want to experience that? Do you really want to experience winning 60 games across three years before you yeah. actually, you know, and then the, the, the thing that also gets lost in that too, like you have to, okay, after you're done losing or well, not even that you're done losing when you are losing, you have to make the right moves to not be losers again. Like that's difficult. Yeah. It's so often that stuff. Like, I mean, you look at what Philly had to do in order to get to where they're at now. And that's not even a certified championship. Like, and I think Philly had probably the worst run in basketball for about a four or five year stretch. There, like, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. That's just kind of where it comes down to for me. But I, I do understand wanting to be um, slightly better. But I mean, like, you look at the team last year. If you extrapolate to eighty two games, they're on a fifty one win pace. They finished. They're kind of a false four seed, you know, getting it over Miami and the kind of like a BS playing game at the end. But regardless, I mean, it was a good team.
0: This is advertiser content brought to you by Frito Lay.
1: Just go to frito No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void or Here's worth the snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com.
0: Yeah, no, the Pacers are a good team. And to your point, it's not that easy rebuilding a contender. Like, as a Cleveland fan first, or person who covers this team second, it's, a lot of it, you know, is the luxury that the arguably one of the greatest players of all time time calls East, Northeast Ohio his home, and yep. wanted to come back after Miami and just kind of, you know, put the cat made the Cavs put the cuddles to the metals, ability, contending team around him overnight. And it's not that easy. It takes time. It takes patience. You have to get the draft is a crapshoot. You have to get lucky with the lottery odds. You have to get lucky with the picks and make sure you properly vet these players and they work out and try and work how you build. You have to find the right coach and the right front office and you have to have an owner who's patient. There's a lot of factors at play here and i don't think bottoming out is the right thing and especially in a small market whether it's i know indiana has the back the hometown at least supported the fact that indiana is a basketball state but smaller markets like whether it's a milwaukee or a cleveland or an indianapolis where they can't fully bottom out because you can't also lose casual interest in this team and that's yeah. something where i'm getting frustrated with at least today where i said eh, no darius garland had a good game last night against the pacers Be like, he, oh, he, he had one assist and five turnovers and i'm like if you really want to look at it Andre he attacked Drummond. the basket
1: better than yeah. I thought he had all of last year. Like his burst I, looked a little bit better. Yeah. Like I, I his, liked him a lot.
0: His burst looked better. He's a bigger player. He shared with the media that he's still 19 years old and growing into his body a lot, which I mean, he looks bigger to begin with. He said he's added 17 pounds. I don't know if that's muscle or fat or a combination of yeah. it, or just weight or a combination of the two. But a lot of it was, were, I was talking to a friend of mine, Justin Rowland, where I said, he had three passes to Andre Drummond where Drummond couldn't finish in traffic on them. And it's just a bit of a shame, but like, no, Garland looked sharp last night against the Pacers. And this morning people are like, Oh, well, if you look at the box score, I'm like, you can't look at that. It's part of the eye test like we talked about like way early into this is that's where the frustration itself lies. and, you kind of have to hopefully land on these guys and it's tough because casual fans can't stay engaged. If there's not marquee players there. So for the Pacers to bottom out, that could be a death sentence, to the market as well. And it could be just really tough to regain that footing. And it's, it's easier if you're a consistently good team and you have the pieces in Sabonis and then you have Miles Turner. I don't know if he'll be here longer in Indiana. Maybe they tap Sabonis at the center of this future, but you have Sabonis. You're trying to see what you have with depot. Brogdon's a really good pickup for the Pacers. Like Indiana has a lot of nice pieces, that they don't necessarily need to bottom out. Maybe they just need to retool a little bit. And maybe they find a way in a path and an avenue and they are a consistent and stable organization to the point where I envy them as somebody who, covers a very unstable cleveland organization um where i have full faith in the ability that they're able to get back to where maybe not to where they were with whether it's like with paul george and danny granger and those guys maybe that's a little bit of lightning in a bottle too but the pacers continue to grow homegrown talent and they make smart logical moves where when players are available whether it's a victory oladipo i don't think we'd be having this conversation with oladipo didn't have a career altering injury like he did but i think i like what the pacers are building it's just they maybe need to make a couple of their moves with uh complimentary stars or they try and swing for the fences for somebody else. But you just, it's, it's part of the long con like the Pacers I think are very content with where they're at. And I don't think they should, people should be upset that they're content because it's also not white or black. There's a lot of gray too. Like there's, it's okay with being a playoff team and then waiting for your chance to be a contender. Maybe you don't get it. Maybe you do, but it's better than, the absolute of being a bottoming out team like the Sixers or a contender, whether it's like the Cavs with LeBron or the Lakers now with LeBron. And it's, it's, it's a fine line. You have to walk for sure. I think the flattened lottery odds certainly incentivize teams, not the tank, uh, the playing tournament that's coming this year certainly helps as well, but it's just, a, it's a weird time. And I was like one of those fans <clears throat> when I first really started covering this team close up, I'm like, Oh no, the Cavs need a bottom out after LeBron leaves, but I've come around on their belief that, listen, they can't afford financially to bottom out because they can't lose interest from the fans. And having a Larry Nance and having a Kevin Lovester and an Andre Drummond, too, certainly helps a lot. But you can't really just be like, OK, let's put the worst product out there for a few years because it builds a culture of losing. And that's so hard to shake if a team doesn't know how to win because if you assemble these young guys and they don't know how to win. Well, what are you doing here? You just got to restart again in three or four years. And that's just frustrating. It's just a cycle of futility. And let me get off my soapbox here, but this is just where I've always been on this.
1: No, I totally agree. I mean, I think that's, that's a really great way of looking at it. It's uh, it's, I mean, you just look at the Cleveland Browns. I mean, I think that's a yeah. great way to put it. Obviously I think most people listening to the pod aren't Browns fans, but I, you, you obviously know what's happened with the Browns. They went to the, no, they didn't even go to the playoffs. So they had one winning season um, in my entire childhood, you know, they, 10 and six to one year, and they didn't even make the wild card game because it was a pretty poor schedule. Um, yeah. I mean, like that, uh, nobody cared about the Browns. Like, hardly. I mean, actually, I, I shouldn't say nobody. They still had a huge following. Yeah. Um, the, but the it was Browns, like every. It, it would start off like the, the first five games and then be like, okay, well, we don't care anymore. Like, it, it was every year's like, oh, well, we'll get them next year. And it's just, you build that kind of mentality like you're talking about. Yeah. Um, but like, looking. Interesting oh, right.
0: parallels with Indianapolis and Cleveland when it comes to mm-hmm. football and basketball. Like I feel if the Colts were consistently mediocre, they'd still get fans to come to the games where the Browns have been putrid from all so they went zero and six one and fifteen and zero and sixteen in back to back seasons and they are still selling out most of their games yep. and getting a good enough attendance and Last year expectations were way too high with uh, Freddie Kitchens as the head coach and certainly fascinating to watch as well. Yeah. Fun in all the wrong ways. Yes, exactly. um, Yeah, no, the Browns this year, this is what I wanted for them. Kevin Stefanski might be a boring coach but the way he calls an offense is super fun, but he's not going to give you the clickbaity headlines like a Hugh Jackson or make the gaffes like Freddie Kitchens would. And, you need to find that consistency and stability where the Browns are exceeding a lot of my expectations. I if in my head, I think I had them going nine and seven or eight and eight. But for them to be in the position they are now, I think it's this them being quiet again. But like the same thing goes, or like the Browns also, I think, learned that even when they were awful, the diehards are still going to come out and support them. I think the same could be said for the Colts as well. Because in my brief time in Indiana, Indiana was a big Colt state when I was interning there in college and um, especially because, I mean, it was at the heyday of Andrew Luck, but I, I think having the luxury of transitioning from a Peyton Manning to an Andrew Luck certainly helped, but um, I think the Colts kind of have that luxury as well, where, like, if they're just okay, and then having Rivers now, too, like, if they're just okay, they're still going to get fans to show out, but, like, the Pacers, if they're god-awful, what's the point here? Why would I go in the dead of winter to downtown Indianapolis to watch a basketball team get clobbered on a night-to-night basis where, I don't know, it's just interesting to think. I think that's an interesting parallel when it comes to a lot of Midwest cities. Um, Football's really ingratiated in a lot of our culture, but I don't know. Basketball's just kind of always been like the redheaded step shot in Cleveland because the Indians have their fans. The Browns always have their fans. And I don't know. The the Cavs need to build a winning culture before they need to walk before they crawl before they can walk or even run and I think they're heading in the right direction but yeah no, I'm sorry
1: no you're good I'm I, this is the kind of stuff I like talking about man I mean yeah it's interesting too because in looking at kind of recreating the culture in Indiana or at least the way they're doing things um, if I told you that yesterday um, if the Pacers took that many threes they took forty four yesterday. They took that many threes and it was a regular season game. They would have set a franchise record for threes taken in a game. Would you believe me?
0: I would believe you because, I because know that, that, that like is, one yeah, of the Tony put that out this morning.
1: That would have been a franchise record. Um, yeah. that was also higher than the regular season high from last year in 42 threes and they averaged 28 a game last year. So it's like, um, it's it's wild. I was looking at the shot chart this morning, um, five, tr- five shots that were not in the paint or outside the arc, which that is like a complete revelation different from last year. Um, I definitely look forward to that kind of balancing out a little bit because some of the stuff felt a little bit rushed, but like overall, I mean, it was, it was just like just night and day compared yeah. the offense. Like it was so rough though. I mean, uh, Caitlin Cooper put it out Um, that, I mean, you could tell that the Pacers had focused primarily on defense because Nate, Nate Bjorken had said that um in his pregame presser that they'd really been focused on defense and, and, uh, in camp and, um so like you mentioned earlier in the pot a lot of the sets were kind of vanilla they weren't really running a ton it was just kind of you know uh getting a feel for each other on court i mean obviously finished with 24 turnovers which is a tough scene um but i don't know i'm excited for where this team's going i i I think there are still a lot of questions about how things are going to fit um defensively and offensively but regardless it's nice to see them actually go out and do some of the stuff that they've been talking about and not just you know so often with Part of the reason why people got frustrated with Nate McMillan, I think the front office eventually decided to make the decision they did. I mean, every single offseason we'd hear, OK, well, we're going to come out and shoot more threes this next year. We're going to play more in transition. And it never happened. And this year it looks like it's actually going to happen, which is, is kind of remarkable.
0: Yeah, no, that's when I when McMillan was fired by the Pacers, I was a little surprised by how fans were really excited about it. And one of the biggest criticisms was the Indiana didn't run a very modern offense where they were more three point oriented. And like you said, they attempted a lot of threes. They, uh, I think that's a step in the right direction. I think filling out your personnel around that identity and hopefully Vic can become a little bit more of a consistent shooter helps a lot too. But, um, no, uh, credit credits due, I guess, to Cleveland's defense as well, where Indiana, they usually get torched from the perimeter. So them getting, allowing Indiana to put up a record amount of shots like that for the franchise is, you know, not the best thing, but the fact that the Cavs are able to hang in their win is more impressive than that fact. And yeah, no, that's, that's for sure a step in the right direction for the Pacers. It's just interesting to see where they go from here and I mean, let's see. Brogdon was four or seven from three last night. Uh, Holiday was one of three. Miles Turner was two of four. Sabonis, those two shooting threes is the most. Turner and Sabonis shooting threes, I think, is an underrated part of their game. And I think mm-hmm. having a coach that enables that and allows them to do and encourages them to do that is a good step in the right direction. And no, uh, certainly exciting for the Pacers, at least from an offensive standpoint. I think they have solid defensive pieces where they can still be always consistently middle of the pack. But to make an explosive addition to their offense like that, uh, that's a, that's, a, that's a smart move.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think the biggest thing, too, I mean, Miles did not record scratch at all yesterday, which is like that's been his calling card for a while. So getting him to kind of take stuff just really in rhythm, um, you know, it finished 14 and six yesterday, but I thought overall had a really good game. Um, yeah. like nothing crazy, but, and Vic was interesting. I think he he showed some more of his burst and athleticism that we hadn't seen as much in the bubble, um, but was overall pretty, uh, tight is the wrong word. But, um, I mean, he played 21 minutes in a preseason game. You can't take too much away from it. Like we talked about, yeah. but overall, I think it's, it's encouraging. And I really like Keelan Martin. Uh, he was kind of like a last minute signing by the Pacers. He played for like only 12 minutes yesterday, but he showed some stuff defensively. Took a lot of threes, made a couple threes, so I can't really find a lot of fault in it. Um, dying by the hand of TJ McConnell's fadeaway towards the end of the game was a uh, was not awesome to see. It's uh, it, I mean, again, it's preseason, but uh, the amount of times that that we saw last second possessions with TJ McConnell taking an eight footer off his back mm. left foot is a uh, is a uh, it's, uh, it's a little bit of PTSD from last year.
0: I mean, it's tough when Isaac Okoro is an unforgiving god and unfor- in the <laughs> world yeah. of NBA basketball. But uh, no, that's that's what I said. Like T.J. McConnell is a player that can hurt you or play well enough for you, and I think that's why he overstayed his welcome with Philly and why he's kind of uh, maybe on his way out in Indiana as well. Like He's a good enough backup point guard, but if you let him do too much offensively, he can really hurt you. And I like what he brings to the table in that regard. But yeah, no, Okoro really, he also looked encouraging against Oladipo. I think somebody said that like there's points where Oladipo looked visibly frustrated against him and was really locking him up defensively as well. And maybe Okoro is a lot better than I'm giving credit for. But like you said, it's the preseason. Let's not get too, too crazy here. But um, living and dying by T.G. McConnell doesn't sound like too, too much fun but um, maybe there'll be a guy who really erupts during this time. Maybe it's Sumner, maybe it's Stanley who can play a little bit more of those backup point minutes and you can kind of phase McConnell out a little bit in that
1: regard. Yeah. I mean, I think Aaron holiday is probably going to take over for him. Uh, he, yeah. Aaron holiday was behind him a little bit in the depth chart last year, just kind of depending on the circumstance. And um, I think he'll take over those point minutes too. And I think Sumner as well is going to get some yeah. minutes there. Cause he never got a chance to really run anything on ball last year. Um, and I'm excited. Stanley had a good game too. Like, I, I don't know. It's, it's a lot of tantalizing stuff. One of the last questions I wanted to ask you though, um, mm-hmm. where, where are things out with KPJ right now? Cause obviously he got into some legal trouble off court and I know he's been having some issues in his life, which I'm really hopeful that he's going to be able to turn around. Um, yeah. but, but where are things out right now headed into the year with him?
0: Well, I know. This is some stuff I've kind of done some curse researching as well because it's like one of the biggest questions after every single practice is, did Kevin Porter Jr. practice today? And Mm -hmm. for the better part of camp, no, he didn't. Some of it was disciplinary, but also it's just more so the Cavs wanted him to focus on these legal troubles. For those listening who maybe don't know, he was arrested outside of Youngstown for falling asleep behind the wheel and flipping his car. When the police found him, they found marijuana and a loaded handgun in his front seat with him, which is a... Which is a serious offense in Ohio. He's coming from New York City, which is what Plaxico Burris and Lil Wayne had to do jail time for. So I don't know what the verdict is on that yet. But the char- the gun charges were dropped at least against him in Ohio, outside of Youngstown. I think it's Mahoning County it was the county. Yeah. And so the marijuana thing is kind of pending, but the gun charge is a lot more serious. And so the Cavs kind of let him take care of that, like let him be away. It was an excused absence, but the more concerning thing is and I know the Cavs are very frustrated with this is they were on him like white on rice the majority of this pandemic but somehow some way because there were character concerns that were obviously overblown with him coming out of Southern California but and he was a model citizen of Cleveland I think it's because the Cavs really wanted to build a healthy and sustainable culture that he felt like he was comfortable with and feel like he was at home with and had an environment and structure around him that allowed him to succeed and clearly it showed during the season but Early into the pandemic, it was maybe in August or so, he struck a woman in downtown Cleveland who got into a verbal and somewhat physical altercation with his sister who was in town. Um, the police were contacted. The woman, Kevin Porter, struck and pressed charges, and the Cavs were very concerned about that. They've been aware of it from the beginning. Um, people, for some reason, were surprised by this. Uh, no, usually if your one of your employees gets in trouble, your employer finds out almost immediately. Um, the yeah. police will usually let them know. Um, so that's been ongoing. The Cavs aren't too, too thrilled about that, but J.B. Baker staff shared with the media that they aren't going to give up on him as a person. They're going to do whatever they can to help him, to help him succeed both on and off the court because they want to turn him into a model player and a model man as well. And I think that's a nice thing to say, but I know heading into the season, he is kind of in the doghouse a little bit. He's going to have to earn minutes in the rotation again. He's got to rebuild trust of the coaches again. Lindsey Gottlieb, especially who is, brought in to be one of the player development liaisons between just like the bridge because he she was such a successful collegiate coach that she could bridge the mm-hmm. gap between some of these nba lifers whether it's bigger staff or some of the other coaches on cleveland staff versus some of these kids coming out of college so it's a little bit easier of a transition for them and kevin porter is like one of her big i don't want to say projects but players she worked with ex- extensively and he's disappointed a lot of people in Cleveland's front office. I think he's owned up to a lot of his mistakes, but I think he's also aware of the fact that he's not going to be, and that at least Cleveland's also making it crystal clear that we're not going to just go back to the way things were. We're not going to just hand you back the minutes you got, whether it's 25 to 30 a night with Cleveland, he's going to have to earn a lot of those spots back because there's guys who have been in camp who didn't get in trouble. And, have made their case to prove that they belong in this rotation now you got to go do the same but you have to play a lot of catch up as well and you got to earn the trust of the coaching staff and it's going to be an upward battle for him um i think he needs to be on his best behavior and be tight tight tighten up and just you know buy the laces as much as he can and just stay focused on what matters right now in basketball making sure legally he keeps his name out of the news and just in general and I have faith in his ability as a player. I think he's a good person. He's a good kid by all accounts. Um, the car thing was an honest mistake. I think from what I gathered, he was, he was working out in New York city with Drummond and Kevin love for a little bit and a couple of the NBA players, which is a good thing, but he was trying to get back to Cleveland. So he could quarantine in time for training camp because I think they needed to be isolated for 10 weeks to 14 days or it's not, sorry, not 10 weeks, 10 to 14 days. Mm-hmm. And then, Head so they'd be ready to go, so everything's just clear and good to go. And he was trying to be responsible about that. And he was driving straight through and fell asleep behind the wheel. That was a mistake. Having marijuana in your gun, your front seat of your car, you're 19 years old, you do stupid stuff. You kind of forgive that. Obviously, striking a woman and committing assault on someone is a more serious offense, is something the Cavs have taken seriously and are handling internally. And I haven't asked much because they don't really want to air the dirty laundry of a player who's had a rough off season to begin with but yeah just to answer your question he'll he was practicing with the team friday and saturday he didn't play saturday night against indiana i doubt he plays monday against indiana he might play a little bit against new york but we'll see what happens i know he just kind of has to earn his trust the trust back of the organization and kind of work his way back in but they still view him as a key piece they view him as a steal of the draft uh top 10 ish talent when they were scouting him in 2019 god that feels so long ago i know right feels like forever. Uh, so, you know, Kevin Porter, I hope it works out, but if he does have another slip up, I think we need to have a serious conversation about, I think it's time for the Cavs to move on from him. And I think the Cavs starting to like, they're not ready to skive up on him entirely, but if they keep giving these opportunities and he keeps taking advantage of they don't want them. They don't want Kevin Porter to confuse their patience and their understanding with weakness. and think that he can get away with these things. So they really have to just try and hold him accountable. And that's the thing. They're just, it's accountability right now. And that's actually a big buzzword out of the cat coming out of the Cavs and camp is being accountable to one another. And, I think right now they're trying to keep Kevin Porter accountable as well. But if he has another catastrophic slip up, I think I don't know if the team will cut him, but I think they will look to try and trade him and maybe put him in a different situation because you can only give him so many opportunities till you realize this may not work out and maybe he needs that real dose of reality. Like, okay, this team who thought the world when he traded me and now I gotta get my shit together. It's it's kind of like Josh Gordon, but Josh Gordon is given way too many chances with oh. the rounds and I think the Cavs don't want that kind of situation on their hands where they keep giving these opportunities or they keep getting made a fool of in the media. And, um, no, I, I think they're going to be okay, but, um, uh, you know, you got to remain a little skeptical too because a lot of what's happened this off season, the car thing was stupid kid stuff. But like I said, the assault thing is a lot more concerning and the Cavs are aware of it and we'll just kind of see how it plays out.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. And it's, I think it's interesting. I had a had a really great conversation conversation with Jackson Frank earlier this week, talking about, um, you know, just kind of the way that media, or not even just saying media, like just the way that that we talk about, like Kyrie and Paul George compared to compared to other guys who have you know some more serious issues going on in their life, yeah, um, and just like the way that we look at things in general. And I think it's tough because you look at a dude like like Kevin, and um, I mean, I think there's very clear clearly some stuff going on in his life that that he has to take care of and that doesn't make him a bad yeah. kid. You know, like I think wow. we get so lost in like some of these things and I'm not at all trying to diminish the things that that he's done. Um, hopefully it doesn't come off like that, but I just think um, there's, it, it's just the very interesting conundrum with looking at the pressure that we put on people and and the, the way that everyone handles things. And um, hopefully he's able to figure things out because from 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 everything i've seen he's he's a he's a good kid but just has some issues going on yeah. um but yeah um
0: yeah, we'll see I, what happens yeah
1: yeah for sure i think so I'll, to close out on a lighter note um what are like one or two things you're looking for in the next game just uh, any kind of improvements sh- shifts like adjustments or anything
0: i am interested to see how much andre Drummond and uh kevin love play in this game maybe mm-hmm. we see we're going to see a lot more Coro. I wonder if JD puts him in more situations where he's playing NBA caliber players where that's something I touched on where he kind of threw him to the end of the fire a little bit, where he had to guard Brogdon and Oladipo right out of the gates and kind of cover up for a lot of the deficiencies of Darius Garland. Um, I'm expecting a better game from Indiana overall. I think the Pacers playing their, some of their key guys about midway to late into the third might not happen again, but I expect a sharper game from Indiana. Uh, I think maybe the Cavs just kind of, I want to say lucky, but just a lot of things kind of went their way to finish the game. So I think a lot more of a competitive game will be on the table. And um, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see this is a good litmus test for the Cavs as well, because they were not a good team last year, especially defensively, but to hold their own against a, a team that's too talented in the Pacers and win. I think it's a good way to build confidence in a culture like we've talked about, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Pacers one also wouldn't be. It's the preseason. You can't take too much stock in who wins and who loses here. But individually, more Darius Garland. Maybe we'll see some Colin Sexton as just that X factor, and that'll be a lot more exciting as well. Maybe a little bit more Drummond and Love and more Okoro. And uh, we didn't even talk about Thon Maker, man, but maybe Thon Maker looking a little bit more comfortable in his role. He looked better towards the end of the game, but the first half he did not look great at all. Yeah,
1: he was struggling. But, yeah, no, the back end of the game, he looked good. Um, I think with the Pacers, too, I'm just looking for a cleaner game overall, like the offense yeah. kind of settling down, maybe actually getting some sets run. Or not that they weren't, but, you know, like trying to establish some more um, more dynamic sets in there. Um, obviously, I, I, I wonder I, – kind of finding that balance of, of hitting some mid range shots, because that's something I always like think about, like the Pacers, obviously you want them to, you cannot be 30th and three point attempts. Like, I'm sorry, you just cannot yeah. be 30th and three point attempts. It's a math equation at that point And you, you lose most of the time if you're doing that. Exactly. Um, but when you have guys who are very capable mid range shooters and not just capable, like very good, like TJ Warren's a top 10%, um, six to 18 foot guy, like fantastic at it. But it, you have to measure like okay, well, can we get you to take five three point attempts per game while also like hitting your sweet spots every once in a while and still getting you going? Like finding that balance—that's something I'm interested to see how they do it in preseason. It's going to probably happen a lot more um, once they are they're actually running their real rotation in the regular season. But um, I think I wonder about that too because uh, all the starters, I think they played the top eight rotation guys twenty plus minutes. Um I wonder if they'll play some of the back end guys a little bit more uh, tomorrow. Yeah just to get some more run there. I think they wanted to just see what the rotation was looking like to start off. But um, I, I know part of it's due they had, they had guys out, but I, I think that's something I would definitely
0: look at as well. No, for sure. Um, I, I don't think Indiana's is going to have as rough a game offensively either. I think Cleveland isn't going to be world beaters just defensively. I think they will be better next season for hopefully at least for my sake and for the JV Bickerstaff's sake, cause that's something they've preached for the longest time for the last few months at this point, when it comes to them being a defensive oriented team. So I think they will be better, but I think Indiana also had an off night. It's just, it's a weird time. Um, quick or sorry, rocket mortgage field houses court looked like a billboard for the most part. So that was odd. Um, it it did look really attendance. weird. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a symptom of the times and yeah, know, 300 fans in attendance. That's going to be rough too. Um, it's going to be a weird time. It's going to be a bit of an adjustment for everybody. But for the Pacer fans listening, I know I gush about the Cavs, but I really like the direction this team's heading. I think they're going to look a lot better come Monday when uh, they take on the Cavs before the Browns. And uh, maybe maybe the Cavs will be too. Maybe Larry Nance will be too focused on the Browns trying to clinch a playoff berth against Baltimore and not have as good a game because uh, now Larry Nance is an X factor for the Cavs and someone I think is going to finish out his career here.
1: Yeah. No, definitely. I love Larry. I always forget about how good of it. Well, I mean, not that I forget that he's such a good player, but it's interesting because I didn't even realize uh, until he got into the league that he played at Revere. Cause I, I mean, I yeah. grew up like 20 minutes from Revere high school. So that's like, um, it, that's it's funny, funny because that was like part of the reason why he didn't even go that, that high in the, or not that. I mean, he went in the first round of the draft, but like, I mean, if he played at a different school, that's much bigger with basketball. Oh, yeah, he, yeah. Like if he goes to or Ignatius, he probably ends up at a uh, like high major school or something you know so it's interesting how that stuff works out
0: interesting i went to wadsworth and larry's at Revere. i think Mm -hmm. we both graduated the same year and he dunked on me in intramurals so yeah no when he got traded back it was kind of a funny reconnection like yeah hey we went to high school together what's up but um it's it's also it's more so the Cavs are letting him play the way he wants to play um that's a fun he that's something he shared with me when we talked about how when you look at a team like Miami, and that's a team the Cavs are trying to take a lot of pages from where you have a Bam out of bio who's a playmaking big man and Larry has shown an ability to play. It's he has Crohn's disease and he didn't take Remicade until he was a freshman or sophomore in high school, if I remember correctly. And it's also a form of a steroid as well, which caused him. And if you've met the Nance family or have you ever seen like his father's a large man, his brother Pete plays for Northwestern as a tall man as well. His mother's tall, his sister's tall. Larry was the shortest of the bunch for a while. And once he had his, took his Remicade, he had a massive growth spurt and he, he's now the player you see now. And yeah, so he played point guard his freshman and sophomore year that he to finish playing power forward center by his junior and senior year. So he's a little bit of a jack of all trades, master of none. And I remember Or sorry, Zach Lowe wrote an article about how his names kind of popped up in trade talks. And he said, like, I'm not going anywhere. But a lot like Spencer Dinwiddie said, like, it's a compliment that teams are calling and asking Cleveland, like, hey, is he available? Because he is a modern just a really good modern glue guy for the league and i think just a consistently good player we're like i wasn't super high on his skill set but then the Cavs like he's like tells me oh i've been working on three pointers i'm like okay and then he consistently is now a good three-point shooter and he's like oh i've been working on my playmaking. i'm like okay and then he is a competent enough tertiary playmaker like the Cavs are encouraging to do a lot of these things and i think allowing and enabling your big men to do that and a lot like the pacers they're encouraging sabonis and turner to shoot threes and maybe they ask sabonis to act as a little bit of a tertiary playmaker as well like indiana has a lot of good pieces where they can unlock modern wrinkles in their offense and i think they're going to be in a lot better place the more bjergsen is allowed to really put his identity on this roster
1: yeah so it's actually kind of funny because if you mentioned the trade talks um i I, as far as i know the pacers had nothing to do with that but um if his if his contract was a little bit smaller um i think he he was somebody i actually almost wrote an article about it just for the hell of it or talked about on the pod because like the Pacers have not had somebody who can play the four in forever. I mean, Thad was Thad Young was a really good four, but someone who can space the floor a little bit too, or just like even last year, they needed somebody who was a backup that could come off the bench and just kind yeah. of play some some nice four minutes without getting you killed. And I was I, I almost threw out last year. I was like, get Larry Nance on this team. Like he can guard on the perimeter a little bit. Uh he's a, just a good rotation defender like he can do a lot of stuff in pick and roll he's this quality passer like he, yeah like you mentioned I mean he just does like a little bit of everything awesome first big off the bench um yeah I love Larry and also I mean it, it's just fitting for him to be in Cleveland considering how yeah. big the player's dad was for them but no for um, sure yeah so I mean to wrap up Evan what are you uh what are you working on what are you excited about you know uh, what are you what are you looking forward to this week
0: Uh, this week, golly, I'm looking forward to the Cavs playing the Pacers on Monday. I think it's gonna be fun. I think I am looking forward to the Browns playing Baltimore. Do you think that's a winnable game for them? Which is something I haven't said in a while,
1: (laughs) right? When's the last time
0: we can even? I'm also ready for the Browns to that, and you know, the Browns having expectations of them on national TV means they're probably gonna fall apart in spectacular fashion. So,
1: hopefully, not, but no, sounds nice.
0: Yeah, it sounds nice, but you can find me five days a week on Locked On Cavs, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Really growing at an alarming rate i say this in a lovingly way but like we're growing quite a bit it's turning into quite the undertaking and i love every second of it um i run the show with my co-host there chris manning we also run the show together SB Nation's Fear the sword uh, we're doing player previews there we're working on that we're actually looking for some help if you guys are interested in getting some experience we don't have the money right now to pay but there might be something down the line as well but we're looking for help when it comes to game threads and recaps and everything else in between and we just love to get more people sharing their voice on the Cavaliers we want to help foster and continue the growth that a lot of these guys before us set and other than that i've been doing my thing over at forbes as well it's been a good time there uh wrapping up the year there as well and then just kind of looking ahead to 2021 and hopefully we can start watching these guys in person again.
1: It sounds nice, man. Hopefully, we'll actually be able to meet up in a stadium sometime soon. Yeah, but I, I imagine great. it's not going to be till twenty twenty two now. But we'll, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. Well, Evan, thank you a ton for coming on, man. I always appreciate it. To every, everyone listening, I'll have all this, you know, stuff down below in the description. Of course, go follow him, check out all this stuff. Um, just have a good rest of your day. Thank you for listening.